Hey everyone, I'm Stephanie, and this is the Found in Print Italian American Stories Podcast. Welcome to part two of Angelina Garamoni's story. Let's do a quick recap of part one because there were a good amount of people introduced and a lot of important events that were covered. So, of course, we were introduced to Angelina and discussed her early life with Luigi, their babies, their families, and Angelina suing people who accused her of wanting to kidnap their men. (laughs) Just kidding. We also went over Angelina's two scams, her piano scam, where she would rent a piano from a company and then turn around and sell the piano for a profit. And, of course, the big scam, which was Angelina's real estate. And do I dare call it a business? But regardless, it was her real estate business scam. And of course, in this scam, she would unfortunately take advantage of her fellow Italians by buying their properties for a cheap price, then turn around and sell the property for a profit. Then we discussed the life and death of Doreen DeSolante and how Angelina was the main suspect in Dorinda's murder. But sadly, the murder of Dorinda is still unsolved to this day. Finally, we left off with Angelina being sentenced to eight years in prison for real estate fraud. So let's start discussing the second woman who went missing from Denver's Little Italy, and that was Maria LaGuardia. She was born in Potenza, Italy in 1845, and she came to America in 1890 with her husband, Michael LaGuardia, and they were married in Italy in 1875. Maria and Michael didn't have any children, but Maria was known to be really close with her nieces and nephews in Denver, and she was 65 when she went missing. But Michael was also missing as well. Well, sort of. So 16 years before Maria went missing, uh, so in 1894, Michael fled Denver. Apparently what happened was Michael was accused of having a relationship with a very young Italian girl in Denver's Little Italy. And when this relationship came to light, many of the members of the girl's family said they were going to come after him. So he fled Denver. Um, Eventually, though, the rumor of Michael and the young girl, it was proven to be false, but he still didn't return to Denver. In fact, after he left Denver, he never contacted Maria again. So Maria seemed to really miss her husband, and she was constantly trying to locate him. I mean, he was gone for 16 years before Maria went missing, and she was always looking for him or always asking if people knew where he was. It was said that she would consult Angelina, who was, as we talked about in the first part, uh, was viewed by many as a fortune teller. And so she would consult her regarding the location of her husband, hoping that Angelina could help her find him. And she, she just really trusted Angelina. And she would go to her for advice, not only just trying to locate her husband, but Angelina was also her financial advisor, whatever that means. And honestly, I don't know if I want to know what that means when it comes to Angelina. But a few years before her murder, she went to work for Angelina. And I'm not really sure what she did for Angelina. I couldn't find anything on that. But if I had to guess, I would say Maria probably did work for her, similar to what Dorinda did. So taking care of her kids, cleaning, cooking, and those kinds of things. Maria also owned a lot of properties in the Denver area. However, I think that those properties were legit. I don't think that she ever participated in... Angelina's real estate shenanigans. And Maria was also known to carry large amounts of money on her most of the time. And to hide this money, or I guess just how she preferred to carry it around, she would sew the money into her clothes by making hidden pockets. Maria's story, it kind of breaks my heart, to be honest with you. There is no evidence, like I said, that she participated in any of Angelina's fraud. She didn't seem to harm anyone. And really, she just seemed like a sweet lady who wanted to find her husband. And like I said, she really trusted Angelina to look out for her, to help her find her husband. And I think one of the biggest reasons that she trusted Angelina was Angelina was her goddaughter. I mean, that's that's a close relationship. And we'll get into what happens to Maria. But when you think of the fact that Maria was Angelina's godmother, it's just, it's heartbreaking. So 
let's get into the into Maria's disappearance. In August of 1910, Angelina approached Maria and told her that she knew where her husband was and that she would take her to him. She told Maria he was hiding in some mines near Golden, Colorado, which is a town west of Denver. Angelina then bought four train tickets to go to Golden the next day. The tickets were for, of course, Angelina and Maria, but Angelina also brought her friend Conchetta Forgioni and Conchetta's daughter Stella. And the next day, Maria was spotted by a few witnesses boarding the train with Angelina and the other two ladies. And sadly, this was the last time Maria was seen alive. Um, Maria LaGuardia's nephew, Dominic, and a well-known Italian interpreter, Clyde Casadente, were really the first ones to sound the alarm that Maria was missing. Dominic was starting to get worried when he couldn't find his aunt, and he reached out to Clyde for help. So Clyde agreed to help Dominic and actually ended up searching for Maria for almost a whole year. They searched hospitals and asylums for Maria, and they asked around Little Italy to see if anyone knew where she was. And when they couldn't find her, they went to the authorities, basically saying that they were pretty sure she was taken and murdered. And they were certain that Angelina was somehow involved. So Clyde was, for some reason, concerned with all the missing Italians in the Denver area. And he took it upon himself to investigate a lot of those disappearances, including Maria's. And I only say for some reason, because it's not really clear what his motives were. In one article I read, it said that he was basically a concerned citizen, which is great. Like, you know, he's a part of Little Italy. He's worried about his fellow Italians. He should absolutely be concerned. But there's also another theory out there that was floating around that said that he was determined to take Angelina down for her actions in Little Italy. So, and I don't know, he was kind of a sketchy guy. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. And so he was quoted in a Denver Post article saying that he had a lot of trouble getting his fellow Italian neighbors to speak to him. But once Angelina was arrested for forgery and sentenced to prison, people finally started opening up to him. The article also claimed that when Clyde would ask some of the Italians in the Little Italy about Maria's whereabouts, they would say nothing, but they would, quote, shrug their shoulders and make suggestive movements of the hand across the throat. So, like I said, Clyde is, he's an interesting fellow. Um, he was born in New York City in 1878, and his family eventually moved to Cl- to, <laughs> to Clyde. Um, his family eventually moved to Colorado, and Clyde eventually became a sheriff in Denver. And he only had one eye, and rumors were that he was either hit in the eye, or he was shot in the head, and the bullet exited out of his eye. I couldn't really find anything solid, but I feel like if you were shot in the head and the bullet exited out of your eye, that I don't know. I don't really know a whole lot about this kind of stuff, but I feel like that would be pretty damaging. On June 14th, 1900, he married an Anna Reynolds. And weirdly, two months before they got married, Anna tried having Clyde arrested um, for following her around too much and threatening to kill her for winking at other men. But apparently they worked it out because two months later they were married. So, And he was accused in 1905, so five years after their marriage, to having relations with a 14-year-old girl. But he was ultimately acquitted of all the charges. So I don't I don't really know what happened there. Um, him and Anna also that same year, they lost their infant daughter. So that's a lot to deal with in one year. I kind of kind of feel a little bit bad for Anna there. I mean, your husband is accused of having relations with a young girl and then you lose your infant daughter. That's a lot to deal with. And in 1907, he was charged again with contributing to the delinquency of a 13-year-old girl, and her name was Lottie Road. One headline I read in the Denver Post said, Courts trying to save Lottie Road claims that child was sold for white slave. So from what I gather, the story is Clyde somehow somewhere encountered Lottie and became, honestly became obsessed with her, I would say. And he convinced her parents to sell her to him so that he could marry her. She was 
13 years old. But the courts actually denied the marriage license and Clyde and the girl's parents were arrested. Clyde was actually convicted and sentenced to prison for six years on assault charges for this. And I couldn't find anything on whether the girl's parents were arrested, but I hope that they they had some sort of punishment because that's that's pretty bad. But somewhere between 1909 and 1911, Clyde was released from prison. I'm not sure why. I don't know if he got a pardon or released for good behavior, but couldn't find anything. So in 1914, he married a Gertrude Reynolds. And if the last name Reynolds sounds familiar, that's because it was also the same last name of his first wife, Anna. Anna and Gertrude were sisters. So there's that. So Gertrude and Clyde went on to have five children. And in 1923, the state became involved claiming that the children were neglected and malnourished. And the judge in the case, he recommended that Gertrude get an operation so that she could no longer have kids. And he insisted that, of course, Gertrude would have to, you know, consent to the operation. But honestly, it really felt more like he was kind of basically ordering her to do that. I couldn't, of course, verify if she ever got the operation, but I thought it was interesting that the judge didn't order Clyde to receive an operation or at least both of them. He just wanted Gertrude to do that. So again, like I said earlier, I don't know if Clyde was just interested in these cases or if he had an ulterior motive to seek revenge on Angelina. But back to Maria LaGuardia and her disappearance. So on August 4th, 1911, body parts suspected to be that of Maria LaGuardia's were discovered in a gulch near Golden, Colorado. So a few days after the body parts were found, Clyde asked Maria's uh, niece and nephew if they would be able to identify any of their aunt's clothing. And he thought that this could be done pretty easily because Maria was known to make her own clothing. The niece and nephew brought cloth that Maria would make her clothes out of, and it was confirmed that the cloth and the clothing matched. So the cloth that the niece and nephew brought matched the clothing that was found on the remains. And on August 6, 1911, Maria's remains were positively, positively identified as hers. Maria's nephew and niece were so upset and ready to see justice for their aunt that they told the authorities they were willing to sell their property in order to prosecute those responsible. And Clyde and Maria's nephew, Dominic, they were actually the ones to determine when Maria was last seen. So Denver has an annual feast day called St. Rocco's every year. And the festival actually started in Denver in 1893, and it still happens today. But in 1910, when Maria went missing, the feast was held on Sunday, August 21st, 1910. And Clyde and many other witnesses said the last time they saw Maria was the Friday before the feast and said that Maria never showed up to the feast. So the last day she would have been seen was Friday, August 19th, 1910. And interestingly, Dorinda's husband, Clemente, was the first to implicate the three women, Angelina, Conchetta, and Stella, in the disappearance of Maria. He told authorities that he saw the four women board a rail car on August 19th, 1910. And he also told the police that the next day, so August 20th, Saturday, August 20th, Angelina told him she was with Maria the previous night, taking her to her long lost husband. He said he didn't come forward before because he feared Angelina. But now that she was in prison for the forgery charges, he felt safe to tell his story. And just a quick reminder, Maria went missing in August of 1910 and her remains were found a year later in in August of 1911. It just gets a little tricky because both events are happening in, in the month of August. Another reason Clemente believes that Angelina murdered Maria was because one day when people were asking where Maria was, he saw Angelina bite her own little finger while looking at Dorinda. And now Dorinda was still alive at this time because it was 1910. And Clemente comment claimed that this meant I will kill you in Italian. So on August 6, 1911, police decided that they needed to question Angelina. And from her prison cell, Angelina admits that she put an alive Maria on a rail car to Golden. She said she promised Maria that she would find her missing husband at the end of the line. 
but Angelina denied that she got on the rail car with Maria. So between Clemente's testimony and other witnesses coming forward saying that they saw Maria and Angelina together, the authorities officially charged Angelina with the murder of Maria LaGuardia on Wednesday, August 9th, 1911. And not only was Angelina arrested that day, but numerous other people were, arrest- were arrested as well. Luigi Garamoni was arrested. That's Angelina's husband. Uh, Finabello Garamoni was arrested, and that's Angelina and Luigi's son. Conchetta Forgioni, who was a business associate of Angelina's, and she was arrested for being an accessory to murder, and she was also seen on the rail car with Angelina and Maria. And Conchetta's daughter, Stella Forgioni, was also arrested for being an accessory to murder as well. I guess Luigi and Finabella were arrested because many Italians told the authorities that they were always involved in Angelina's schemes. So after Angelina was charged, a reporter from the Denver Rocky Mountain News wrote that the prosecutors will definitely meet their match with Angelina, whose wits are known to be the shrewdest in the Italian colony. Apparently, when Angelina was charged with the murder, she shrieked, Oh God, I didn't do it. Maria is still alive. Angelina claimed that she is Catholic and Maria is her godmother and she would never hurt her, which is interesting because later in an interview, Angelina denies that Maria was her godmother. She's quoted saying, Miss LaGuardia was not my godmother. She was not in my class. Even if I am a convict, she was from a lower part of Italy. I have known her for about 17 years but I never went to her home. So here's my thoughts on this comment of Angelina's. Her and Maria were both from Potenza, Italy. So they both came from the Basilicata region. So I don't know if Angelina was just trying to separate herself from Maria at this point, or I don't know if maybe she came from a more wealthier family in Potenza, or possibly she thought of herself as higher than Maria when it comes to being an American, because Angelina's family was pretty successful when they came to America. They both came from the same region in Italy. So I don't know if she's, I think she's just trying to separate herself from Maria at this point. She also pointed out in another interview that she would have no reason to steal $700 from Maria when she has thousands in the bank. So spoiler alert here, that when Angelina does kill Maria, she actually steals money from her as well. I personally do believe that Maria was her godmother. She admitted it herself in numerous interviews with reporters, and many witnesses said that Maria was her godmother. So let's dive into the actual murder of Maria LaGuardia. Like I said earlier, Maria's body was found near Golden in August of 1911, and the body was found by a J.N. Johnson, and the body was actually found on Johnson's ranch. He said that Maria's body was wrapped in burlap, And in fact, it's interesting because this burlap actually matched the same burlap found wrapped around Dorinda's body. And so it is kind of crazy that it's the same burlap. And the authorities also said that this burlap was used at a local cemetery. And Clemente, Dorinda's husband, actually worked at that cemetery. So it is a little interesting. And because of this, he did become a suspect for a brief amount of time in Maria's murder. But he was quickly ruled out. A lot of the authorities did say that the murder of Dorinda and Maria were connected and had a lot of similarities, which the burlap would be one of them. So if you remember, Angelina was not alone when she took Maria to find her husband. There were two other women with her, Conchetta Forgioni and her daughter, Stella Forgioni. And Conchetta Forgioni, she plays a pretty big part in the rest of the story from this point on. So after Conchetta was arrested, she agreed to provide a full confession to the police. And on August 11th, 1911, she laid out all of the details of Maria's murder. She confessed to Sheriff Joseph Dennis Jr. and Deputy District Attorney S.W. Johnson. And in her statement, Conchetta said the murder happened on the morning of August 20th, 1910, between 7 and 7.30 a.m., which this lines up to what Clyde and Maria's nephew Dominic said as far as lining it up with the St. Rocco's Festival. They hadn't seen her since the Friday before. 
But Conchetta said that it did start on August 19th, so that Friday, when her, her daughter Stella, Angelina, Maria, and Angelina's six-month-old son, baby Tony, stopped and got ice cream and lemonade, lemonade in Denver before they got on a rail car to go to Golden. Conchetta said once they got to Golden, it was late in the evening, so they decided to sleep out in the open air by the rail station. She claimed that Angelina told Maria that she knew where her husband was and would take her to him in the morning. So the next morning on August 20th, the women arrived where Angelina said Maria's husband would be waiting, and ultimately the spot where Maria would lose her life. Conchetta said Maria started walking quickly around the area looking for her husband, and Angelina started basically freaking out because Maria was getting away from her. And so because of this, Angelina called out to Maria telling her to come back and they would leave to go get a cup of coffee at a friend's house and then come back later and search some more for her husband after they have coffee. But when Maria didn't come back, Angelina asked Conchetta for the bread knife she was carrying, which actually turned out to be a butcher knife. And when she asked Conchetta for the bread knife, she was actually holding her son, baby Tony. And Conchetta handed her the knife and Angelina handed Conchetta baby Tony to hold. Conchetta said she had the knife on her so that they could cut the bread they brought with them. And once Angelina had the knife, she ran after Maria. And when she caught up to her, she grabbed Maria by the forehead and said, Oh, Godmother, see the worm on your throat? And then Angelina pulled Maria's head back and cut her throat with the knife. So, okay, a couple of things here. First, she apparently said godmother, which I think is one more piece of evidence that proves Maria was her godmother. And second, how brutal is this? I just picture Maria desperately looking for her husband, thinking that her goddaughter is helping her out by assisting her in finding her long-lost husband, and is probably not even suspecting that Angelina has intentions to kill her. Then all of a sudden, Angelina slices her throat. So after Angelina kills Maria... Conchetta said she yelled at Angelina a couple of times, what have you done? What have you done? And when Maria fell to the ground, Angelina spent time looking for the $700 that Maria supposedly had sewed into her clothing. But Angelina couldn't find that amount. And instead, she found $320 and it was all in $10 bills. Angelina then ran back to the other two women waving the knife, which was dripping with blood. And she told Conchetta and Stella she would kill them both if they ever told anyone. Conchetta then stated Angelina wiped the bloody knife on the cloak that she was wearing. Conchetta said that Angelina forced her to take $160 and told her that if she ever told anyone, she would get a lawyer and blame it all on her. Conchetta told her that she didn't want the money, but Angelina told her that if she doesn't take the money, it's a sign that she will betray her. Angelina made her eventually just take the money. But then a few days later, for some reason, Angelina took the money back from Conchetta. So Conchetta said that Angelina demanded that she help her push Maria's body into the gulch. So the two of the women pushed Maria's body into the gulch, and then Angelina took the knife out and dug out the earth and then kicked the dirt she dug up onto Maria's body. Conchetta apparently then claimed that Angelina's fingers and hands were covered with blood. She said Angelina then sucked the blood off of her fingers. Now, this story seems a little off to me, to say the least, because Angelina had already wiped the knife off on her cloak, pushed the body of Maria into a gulch, dug up dirt, and handed Conchetta $160. I can't imagine she did all this with blood dripping from her hands, but I suppose Conchetta could have had the order of events mixed up, and this was all told through a translator, so the story could be mixed up a little bit. Also, I wonder if the writer of this article embellished this a bit to make the headline really stand out. Remember, this is the early 1900s when newspapers were known to go a little overboard, but who knows. And This particular event was all over the newspapers, not only in Denver, but across the country. In one article I read, it explained that the reason Angelina sucked the blood off of her fingers was because of a superstition that comes from the Basilicata region of Italy, which is, like I said earlier, where Angelina came from. Apparently, if a murderer tastes the blood of his or her victim, then the curse is removed. So my question is, what curse? The curse of murdering someone? Does it get rid of guilt? Does this mean you won't be caught? But after I researched it a little bit, I found that what it apparently means is that 
the murderer is absolved from the guilt of God. So, I mean, if this is all it takes, that could be a little scary, but I thought it was kind of cool that they tied it back to the Basilicata region. Whether that is true or not, I don't know. I tried looking at this superstition up, but wasn't able to find much. So when the three women were getting ready to leave the crime scene, Angelina removed the bloody cloak she was wearing and told Stella to hide it. And Stella did hide it. She put it under the rail station's platform. Later on, when the officials tried to locate the cloak, they weren't able to find it. However, they found a lot of holy cards scattered around the platform. Stella told the authorities that the cards were Maria's and that Angelina actually found them when she was searching Maria's clothes for the money. So towards the end of her confession, Conchetta told the sheriff she didn't know Angelina was going to kill Maria. And she and Stella only came with her because Angelina wanted them to take care of baby Tony while she helped Maria find her husband. And this was something I was wondering as I was reading Conchetta's confession. I kept thinking, why would you go with her? Why would you take your daughter and go on this random trip with a knife stuffed in your coat? Did she not have any clue about what was going on? And there's a part of me that wonders if Conchetta was actually more involved than she claimed. And I'll get into Conchetta's background in a bit. After they buried the body, the three women left the murder scene and headed back to Denver. Stella went on her own way, and Conchetta stated that she and Angelina went to the West Side Court so Angelina could appear for her court hearing regarding her fraud charges. At this point, you would think that Angelina would be wondering, what has happened to my life? I murdered my godmother on top of a mountain last night. Then I have to come down the mountain for a court hearing because I stole people's homes from them. Conchetta in her confession claimed that a few days after the murder, Angelina became paranoid that the body was not hidden well enough. So Angelina tried to convince Conchetta and Stella to return to the scene of the crime so they could burn Maria's body. Conchetta did end up going back with Angelina three days later so that they could throw dirt over the body, but Conchetta said she refused to burn the body. And this was also when Angelina brought burlap to wrap Maria's body in. According to Conchetta, Angelina tried to get her to return for a third time, but Conchetta refused. Conchetta said Angelina went back alone with a meat cleaver she borrowed from a local butcher. I wonder how that conversation went with the butcher. Can you imagine what the butcher must have thought later on when all of this came out? I mean, if Angelina even returned the knife, I wonder if the butcher thought about if he ever used that knife later on his meat that he was butchering for people to eat. Kind of a creepy thought there. And the sheriff actually really wanted to find this meat cleaver. The sheriff actually questioned all the local butchers about the meat cleaver. He believed if he could find the butcher she borrowed the cleaver from, it would be a key piece of evidence. When Angelina got back to the crime scene with the meat cleaver she borrowed, she chopped Maria's body into smaller sections so that she could ensure the body was truly buried. Little did she know that in the near future, the gold she buried Maria's body in would flood from rains and Maria's bones would end up washing to the surface. The sheriff and deputy district attorney believed the confession was truthful, and Stella also confirmed that her mother's confession was true. Many of the authorities said that Conchetta's confession was really rare among Italians because they were known to be so loyal to one another. With all of this information, the authorities were ready to move forward with the case, but they still wanted a little bit more testimony from Conchetta and Stella, so they ended up taking Conchetta and Stella out to the scene of the crime. Once they got there, the two women actually showed the authorities step-by-step how the murder was committed, and at one point, Conchetta and Stella even acted out the murder of Maria. So Conchetta was Maria and Stella was Angelina, and Stella took a stick and pretended to cut the throat of Maria, but... This was her mother's throat. And I have to admit, the description of this moment just gives me shivers. The fact that they so freely acted this out and Stella pretended to cut her mother's slash Maria's throat was a little chilling. But after acting all of this out, they returned to the police station. And at this point, Conchetta kind of starts freaking out a little bit. And she's pleads with the sheriff to keep Angelina in jail. She said that she feared Angelina would kill her and her daughter. But the sheriff told the women that Angelina was locked away and could not get to them. But Conchetta just cried and said, it doesn't matter. She'll send someone to kill us. So at this point, Conchetta is 
really scared and kind of freaking out because she's confessed. She's basically turned on Angelina. But I do want to give some quick background information on Conchetta. And I feel like it's important and it kind of allows us to see a little bit more of Conchetta's character. So in 1893, Conchetta was arrested for cruelty towards her children. She apparently compelled her young son, Nicholas, to tie his younger sister, Antonia, who was only six years old, to the bedpost of her bed. Once Antonia was tied up, Conchetta heated a fire poker and burned Annie all over her arms and legs. After Conchetta felt like she burned her daughter enough, she hung her on a hook in the house. It sounds like she didn't hang her by her neck, but more by her clothes. I almost picture that scene in Home Alone where Kevin is in the neighbor's house and the burglars catch up to Kevin and hang him by the neck of his sweater on a coat hook connected to a door. And then the other neighbor comes in and whacks the two guys over the head with a shovel and saves Kevin. That's what I picture. I don't know if that makes sense. But a neighbor was actually the one to find Antonia. Apparently, this neighbor could hear the girl crying and screaming and came over and rescued Antonia. Conchetta and her son were both arrested for this. And Conchetta ended up blaming her son for the whole thing and said she had nothing to do with it. But Nicholas said the only thing that he did was tie her up with the rope. The girl did survive, but she was in the hospital for weeks trying to recover from all of her burns, I can only imagine how terrible that was. And Conchetta was actually only sentenced to six months in jail. But Nicholas, who was only 10, he was sent to reform school for three years. I mean, he got, he had to go away for three years and she only got six months. But I guess in a way it may have been a blessing that Nicholas was removed from the house. A mob of Italians actually threatened to lynch Conchetta, but the authorities were able to prevent them from doing this. And this was an event that the Italian community had not easily forgotten by the time Maria was killed in 1910. So with this in mind, I honestly can't help but question Conchetta's involvement in the murder of Maria LaGuardia. Even Conchetta's husband, Nicola, claimed that she was a, she alone was to blame for the trouble she was in. He was quoted saying, she should have stayed home and minded her own business. He wasn't at all concerned with the fate of Conchetta, but he was pretty worried about what would happen to his daughter, Stella. Angelina's defense attorney for the murder trial even referenced the incident with Conchetta and her children in his opening remarks. So he was quoted saying, a woman who will sear her children with red hot irons, as Miss Forgione is known to have done, would stop at no crime. And like I said earlier, I kind of, I don't know, I kind of almost agree with the attorney in a way. I have to wonder, like, if she's willing to do that to her own children, how much involvement did she have in Maria's murder? It just makes me kind of question who she is as a person, to be honest with you. I did find an interesting photo in the Denver Rocky Mountain News of Conchetta and Stella. It has the two women standing against a brick building, and they're wearing these big hats with flowers, and they're just honestly looking into the camera like, why are you taking our photo? Conchetta and Stella were not the only ones interviewed about Angelina's involvement in Maria's murder. Luigi was also interviewed by authorities, and he basically said that Angelina probably is guilty, but he can't really say because she is never around and never tells him anything. Luigi then went on to explain how Angelina was a good wife for a few years. She ran a successful real estate business, and he peddled vegetables. He said he saved up his money and bought six houses, but he said Angelina ended up taking out mortgages on all six houses and forged his name to do this. And he does claim that she stole $15,000 from him, but there's not really any more details on where the money came from or what she did with the money. So while he's out peddling vegetables from early in the morning to late at night, Angelina was, according to him, committing fraud in his name, and he knew nothing about it. I do sometimes wonder, though, how much Luigi did know about Angelina's real estate fraud. He was selling and buying a bunch of houses, too. But then again, if she was forging his name, he may have not actually known. He was also quoted in an article from the Denver Post saying, quote, what she do with the money? I don't know. Do I care what happens to her? No, I do not care. 
I do not know whether she killed Maria LaGuardia. And if she didn't kill her, she'd not tell me anything about it. She'd be away from the house most of the time and she'd never tell me anything. When asked how he felt if she would be, if she was hanged for the crimes she was accused of, Luigi stated, if she get hanged, that's none of my business. None of her business was my business before. I would say Luigi is definitely checked out of this marriage at this point and probably has been for a while. The statements are a little cold, I guess you could say, especially considering this is his, this is his wife. Luigi and Angelina's son, Finabella, was also interviewed, and he claimed that he didn't think his mother killed Maria, but he did agree with his father that Angelina was absent quite a bit. He even stated that his mother would be gone for weeks at a time, and when she came back, would say nothing regarding what she had been up to. Apparently, the months before Angelina was arrested for fraud charges in 1910, she wasn't even living at their home. She was... I guess renting a boarding room in downtown Denver and then would just come back every once in a while. Their son, honestly, he just seems pretty confused on why he was even under arrest. He claimed that on the morning of the murder, he was just working in his garden and had no idea what his mother was up to. Angelina was officially charged with the murder of Maria and her trial was set to begin on November 21st. This meant that Angelina would be leaving the prison, which was located outside of Denver, and she would be temporarily relocated to the Denver jail. This made a lot of the Italians in Little Italy nervous that Angelina would be in close proximity to them again, but the sheriff tried to assure them that she would still be locked up, but their biggest fear was that Angelina would put the curse of the evil eye on them. I bet they were also nervous about just seeing Angelina in the courtroom, and if they were worried about the evil eye, I would bet a lot of the Italians just steered clear of the courtroom and honestly, probably the courthouse. The state opened its case by introducing the bare bones of Maria and the bones that still had clothes attached to them. And the state opened up with this because there was some questions about whether or not Maria was even dead. And they basically said that this was evidence of her death. A lot of newspapers reported that Angelina either laughed or smiled when the state showed the bones of Maria. If this is true, that's not a great look for Angelina. And I would hope her attorney would tell her to knock it off or even have prepped her to not laugh during the murder trial. I mean, that's not something you want to do is laugh at the bones of the woman who was murdered. The first witness that was called by the state was J.N. Johnson. He owned the ranch where Maria's remains were found. Johnson said that on August 4th, 1911, he found a shoe containing a human foot. And as he looked around further, he found a skull, which still had hair attached to it. During one part of his testimony, he said that he had found the remains on, quote, the most isolated part of his ranch. And this statement just made me think of poor Maria. She was 65 years old. She'd been looking for her husband for years. And because of her constant looking for her husband, she was killed and left in such an isolated place. It's just such a bleak situation. And Maria just seemed so sweet. H.S. Burton was the next to testify. And he was the county coroner. He claimed that the remains were definitely human, but he couldn't determine the sex. This testimony of the county coroner completely squashed Angelina's defense attorney's idea that nobody had even determined if the bones were human or not. I mean, come on. They found the skeleton of a human foot inside a shoe. Sounds pretty human to me. Annie, the niece of Maria, she took the stand and testified how she was able to identify the clothing and the shoes that were found with, or I guess on the remains. She even recalled a story where she would help her aunt lace her shoes when she was not feeling well. I just thought that this was a sweet story and kind of conveyed the closeness that Maria had with her niece and nephew. Dominic, Maria's nephew, he testified as well. And he told how Maria's husband, Michael, had fled Denver but he also told the court how he searched for his aunt after she disappeared and couldn't find her anywhere. 
And of course, our Conchetta Forgioni took the stand as well. And she had an interpreter during her testimony. She basically repeated the same confession that she told the sheriff. And apparently during her testimony, she kept her eyes down and avoided looking at Angelina, who apparently kept saying, she lies, she lies under her breath. After Conchetta's testimony, the prosecuting attorney brought up how Angelina had the reputation of possessing supernatural powers and tried to frighten Conchetta and Stella with threats of witcheries. Many papers even referred to Angelina after this as a necromancer. Conchetta testified that Angelina told her, if you don't keep your mouth shut, I know how to magnetize and you will get your throats cut too, because I know lots of witchery and tricks. And if you say anything, I will know it. Conchetta also admitted on the stand that she took half the money that Angelina took off of Maria's body, but she said she took it out of fear that Angelina would be offended if she didn't take it and retaliate against her. There was one part of Conchetta's testimony that I found really interesting. It was where the prosecutor questioned Conchetta about the knife that cut Maria's throat. And here's part of that exchange between Conchetta and the prosecutor. Prosecutor, where did Miss Garamoni get the knife? Conchetta, I had the knife and a sack with a loaf of bread. Miss Garamoni said she wanted the knife to cut the bread. Prosecutor, who gave her the knife? Conchetta, I did. I thought she was going to cut the bread. Prosecutor. When Miss Garamoni took hold of Miss LaGuardia, what did Miss LaGuardia say or do? Conchetta. She didn't say anything. She didn't have time before her throat was cut. Prosecutor. Did she make any noise? Conchetta. No, she just coughed. Prosecutor. What did Miss Garamoni do after Miss LaGuardia fell down? Conchetta. As soon as the old lady fell down, she bent over her and got the money out from her clothes. This part of the testimony felt cold to me. Hearing it told in this matter-of-fact way makes it feel just even more devastating, especially the part where she describes Maria falling to the ground. Stella also testified, and the prosecutor began with more of the witchery and necromancer talk. He had Stella look at and identify a petrified badger foot and a hawk's claw. He asked Stella how familiar she was with these two items, and Stella told him that Angelina actually gave them to her and her mother as good luck charms. But Stella said they never worked and that she just no longer believes in spells and witchery. So I'm not really sure why the prosecutor brought this up unless he's just trying to prove that he believes Angelina dabbles in witchery and is a necromancer. Also, maybe so the jury would fear Angelina or not trust her. According to the Denver newspapers, Stella was the most convincing witness for the prosecution. When the prosecutor asked Stella about immunity, she denied that she was promised immunity for her testimony, which probably gave her a little more credibility with the jury. She also claimed that she didn't come forward earlier about the murder because she feared Angelina would cut her throat. Clover, which was the defense attorney for Angelina, he also questioned Stella. And he basically had the same questions as the prosecutor. However, he did ask Stella, do you know that Miss Garamoni might be put in prison or might be hung because of what you say? This question was objected to and sustained, so Stella didn't have to answer and she didn't answer the question. When Clover questioned Conchetta, he also asked her about the moment Angelina cut Maria's throat. And under her testimony, Conchetta didn't mention that Angelina licked the blood off of her fingers. She said instead that Angelina washed her hands off in a ditch nearby. I just thought that it was interesting that her testimony changed. Like I mentioned before, the fact that Angelina licked Maria's blood off of her fingers was all over the newspapers. Clover also asked Conchetta if Angelina ever talked about fortune telling, and Conchetta simply answered, no, sir. Clover did, however, try to discredit Conchetta by bringing up her previous crime of assault against her children. He asked her if she was ever convicted of a crime. The prosecutor objected to this question, but Conchetta was allowed to answer, and she actually answered truthfully. So the jury did know Conchetta's background, 
And honestly, I was actually surprised she answered this question, but I guess she wasn't the one on trial, so she probably didn't really have any reason not to answer it, I guess. Clover's main defense was trying to prove an alibi for Angelina. He tried to say that Angelina was in his office discussing her forgery charges when the murder apparently happened. When he asked Conchetta if she accompanied Angelina to his office that morning, so the morning that Maria was murdered, she quickly shut him down with a quick, no, sir. He followed it up with questioning Conchetta if she posted bond for Angelina that day. And Conchetta responded yes, but that it was not in the morning, it was later in the day. So after the murder, I guess, which he's trying to prove that Maria was in his office that morning. And Conchetta kind of disproves that. But ultimately, Clover really didn't get anywhere with trying to prove an alibi for Angelina. The prosecutor was also able to dispute this alibi by providing a witness who worked at the Industrial School of Golden. And this witness said that he saw the women at the train depot the morning of the murder. And surprisingly, Angelina eventually took the stand in her own defense. The prosecutor was the first to question Angelina. There was one interesting exchange between Angelina and the prosecutor regarding the word godmother. And here's how that exchange went. Prosecutor, you knew your godmother, Maria LaGuardia, for about 18 years? Angelina, she was not my godmother. She called me godmother. Prosecutor, how old was she? Angelina, about 65 years old. Prosecutor, and she called you godmother? Angelina, yes, that is the way Italian people do sometimes. Prosecutor, well, can you name some old woman who calls a younger woman godmother? Angelina, she called me godmother, and I called her godmother too. Prosecutor, didn't you just say that you did not call her godmother? Angelina, yes, but I misunderstood you. I bet the prosecutor was really confused during this whole testimony. Like I said before, I personally believe Maria was Angelina's godmother, but she denies it quite a bit. The state rested its case against Angelina on December 21st, 1911. And one thing that I found lacking from the murder trial was the prosecution never brought forward a motive for why Angelina murdered Maria. I know that the prosecution doesn't have to prove motive. And in this case, I think the prosecution just relied on Conchetta and Stella's confession and evidence like Maria's bones. But not even Conchetta or Stella offered a motive for why Angelina murdered Maria. None that I could find anyways. And I guess that this leaves room for speculation. It makes me wonder, did Angelina maybe want Maria's property and she refused? Did Angelina think she knew where Maria kept a lot of money and thought that maybe she could get to it? Or did Maria catch on and disapprove of Angelina's real estate business? It's hard to say. Interestingly, but I guess not surprising, Luigi never showed up to one day of the trial. But ultimately, on December 23rd, 1911, the jury came back with a verdict of murder in the first degree with a recommendation of life in prison. When the verdict was read, Angelina apparently lowered her head and cried into a blue silk handkerchief. And her attorney immediately made a motion for a new trial. After the verdict, Angelina kept claiming that she knew Maria was alive and would come back to Denver to clear her name once she saw that Angelina was in prison. To me, this kind of sounds like something a godmother would do, but... According to Angelina, this was not her godmother. So, but obviously Maria never reappeared to clear her name. She also made other claims like Nicola Forgioni, who was Conchetta's husband, and he also happened to work at a cemetery, set her up. She said he had to have robbed a grave and took the bones from the coffin, then put some of Maria's clothes on the bones and then dumped the remains on the ranch where Maria's body was found. I will say it is a little odd that both women who were murdered, so Dorinda and Maria, were wrapped in burlap. And according to one of the detectives, the burlap most likely came from a cemetery. Nicola Forgioni and Clemente Solante both worked at a cemetery. So 
I, I will say there are some weird coincidence there. Then I have to ask, though, if this was true, where's Maria? She never showed back up. The day after the verdict was handed down was Christmas Eve, and Angelina was interviewed by a Mildred Geddes, who was with the Denver Post. She told Mildred, my story of my life and troubles, it's just like a novel. Everyone had it in for me because they wanted Maria's money and Conchetta and Stella were paid to lie against me. When Mildred asked Angelina what she thought of the jury, Angelina said, I wish the jury best success for convicting a woman innocent, and I hope they have sweet dreams. I thought they had a good face, but they have a black heart. The part about having sweet dreams is a little chilling. I can just almost picture the anger in her face when she says that. After Angelina was convicted, many of the local Denver newspapers compared her trial and conviction to other women who were accused of murder in the Denver area. The woman she was compared to the most was a Gertrude Peterson. The papers claimed that Angelina and Gertrude's faces were what actually affected the jurors. They, it was quoted in the paper saying, two faces which had a different effect on juries. So basically, they're insinuating here that Gertrude's face was more feminine and softer than Angelina's. And the papers even had pictures of the two women's faces right next to each other so that I guess the readers could compare the women's faces for themselves. Gertrude was described in the papers as, quote, beautiful, accomplished, and charming, and who, although she shot her husband in the back when the man was already dying from consumption, was acquitted. So I guess as long as you're pretty, you're good to go. (laughs) I don't know. This was pretty different from how Angelina was described in the newspapers. One description of Angelina said, the law moved quickly yesterday in the district court and an ignorant foreign woman was sentenced to life imprisonment for murdering Marie LaGuardia. That's a little different than Gertrude's description. The papers also described Gertrude's weapon of choice as being, quote, a more ladylike weapon. A revolver is so distinguished. I guess, unlike Angelina's butcher knife, these comparisons are so funny. Angelina's murder trial was also compared to four other women's murder trials. The first one was a woman named Assunta Molicone. She shot and killed her husband in their home. She was not convicted because the jury said she was justified in the killing because her husband was so cruel to her. The second woman was Eleanor Valentine, and she also shot and killed her husband, but she pled that it was in self-defense and was acquitted of the murder. The third woman was Beatrice Gordon, who the papers said was the most pathetic figure of all the women. So... I guess that's a small win for Angelina there. Beatrice killed a man she was having an affair with. She also claimed self-defense and was acquitted of the murder. Helen Schmidlap shot and killed her husband. She said he persuaded her to leave her first husband and marry him. And then once she married him, he was extremely abusive to her. She also claimed self-defense and, you guessed it, was acquitted. So I guess if Angelina had killed Luigi instead of Maria, maybe she would have been acquitted too. But Luigi lived on. And he divorced Angelina a few years after the trial on November 26, 1913. I did order Angelina's mugshot and prisoner card from the Colorado State Archives. There was some kind of interesting information on there. And I'll post both of these to the Instagram page. Actually, I think that they're already on there. It has her prisoner number, which was 8304. And then it lists identifying features. It has age 36, weight 110, height, five feet, one, one and a half inches, complexion, dark hair, black, short, medium, eyes, black, nationality, Italian. And then it has a comment that says marks and scars. And it says three marks below the breast kind of makes me wonder what happened there. And it's a little weird that they put that on there, but I guess it's an identifying marker in case she escaped jail, escaped prison, I guess. 
I do have to say her mugshot is kind of cool. It's in color and I kind of think she looks, she looks kind of pretty. She does have a sly smile on her face, but it's just kind of a cool mugshot. She's just looking into the camera like, don't mess with me. Angelina did apply for a pardon in 1920, but was denied and probably was denied because a lot of the Italians in Denver protested her pardon. Then in May of 1921, the parole board reduced her sentence to 22 years. But a year later, May of 1922, she was granted parole for life. So basically they set her free. And in October of 1922, at the age of 47, Angelina walked out of prison a free woman after serving only a little over 10 years for the murder of Maria. So at this time, Angelina was not the only criminal to be pardoned. Governor Oliver Shoup, he pardoned numerous other criminals. And officials actually referred to it as, quote, an orgy of loosing convicted criminals upon the people of Colorado. So basically, the governor randomly paroled criminals ranging from murderers like Angelina to bank robbers. The Fort Collins Express reported that after these pardons, Shoup received a lot of approval and support from gunmen, bank bandits, bootleggers, and second story men. Second story men are actually burglars who enter through an upper story window. I had to look that one up. I've never heard that term before. So, I mean, of course he received support from criminals. They had hope that they could get out of prison if they ever got busted for their crimes. When Angelina was pardoned, she feared the Italian community in Denver would seek revenge upon her. So she immediately fled to Youngstown, Ohio. And the judge who proceeded over Angelina's murder trial was not happy that she was released. He actually advised against her 1920 pardon, but said that he was never told of her release in 1922. But when he did find out about it, he said that it was probably wise for her to leave Denver. I don't know why Angelina went to Ohio. I don't know if she had any connections in Ohio at all. I did research this quite a bit, but couldn't find much except I did find an obituary in the Columbus Dispatch, which is a paper from Columbus, Ohio. And the obituary was for a Philomena Lasasso, who was 88 when she died in 1933. Angelina's mother's name was Maria Philomena Lasasso. But I don't know if it's actually her or not because the dates and ages don't add up exactly. Angelina's mother was born in 1840. So that would have made her 93 in 1933. However, her birth record may not be accurate. Sometimes I've noticed when I'm doing genealogy work or research, the birth dates and years can vary by a few years, especially in the 1800s. But I'm pretty sure it's not Angelina's mother because Angelina said she died in 1915. So... I don't know. That was really the only connection I could find when digging through the websites, the newspaper websites to um, Angelina in Ohio. It's definitely not Angelina's obituary. I mean, she could have used a fake name, but Angelina would have been 57 in 1933. So it's definitely not her. Angelina had a few theories of her own regarding who framed her and who murdered Maria. She thought maybe Maria's nephew, Dominic Tito, murdered Maria because he owed her $1,500 and didn't want to pay it back. Clyde Casadente was another suspect in Angelina's eyes. She thought Clyde would get money from Dominic if he helped Dominic pin the murder on Angelina. And one last theory is she also thought many in the Italian community sought revenge against her for losing their money and the real estate transactions they entered into with her. So I don't know. She she had quite the varying theories there. Um, but regardless, she was paroled. So Luigi lived out the rest of his life working in the restaurant he owned. And he passed away in July of 1935 when he was 69. 
Conchetta and Stella Forgioni, after the murder trial, they were fined $1, which would be $31 today, and they each had to spend one day in jail. The judge told them that he did not feel that they were very guilty, and the five months that they had already served was punishment enough. Stella did run into some legal trouble a few months after the trial. She was working for a company named Colorado Laundry, and one day she received her paycheck, and her check was for $2.35, but she ended up changing that to $5.35. The company, of course, caught on, and she was arrested in 1912, and she served six weeks in jail. Stella's crime was compared to Angelina and her crimes. The detective that actually arrested Stella said it was a typical garamony forgery trick. So that's not great. Stella later married a Francis Jones on October 2nd, 1921. They had one daughter. Her name was Ruth Jones, and she was born in 1913. So this was a few years before they got married. And I don't know if Ruth was Francis's daughter, but from everything I found, it does look like she was. She had the same last name. And, you know, maybe she was just born out of wedlock. It's just a little unusual for that time, but definitely a possibility. And according to the 1930 census, Stella and her family moved to Amarillo, Texas. There was a rumor that they moved to Texas because Francis, who was a chef in Denver, had an opportunity to open his own restaurant. And I have a feeling Stella probably just wanted out of Denver at this point. Stella ended up using a few different names. She frequently used Ethel Smith or Ethel Jones. And I guess I see Jones because that was her married name. There were rumors that Stella was ashamed of being Italian, so she Americanized her name. However, there were also rumors that she feared Angelina. And so that could have been part of the reason why she changed her name. After her move to Texas, Stella became completely estranged with her family in Denver. But all accounts show she lived a pretty lawful and hopefully happy life in Texas. She did live the rest of her life in Texas, and she died in 1980. Conchetta ended up staying in Denver, and she passed away in September of 1940. In 1916, Conchetta was in the papers for a car accident that injured her pretty badly. And like her daughter Stella, Conchetta used different names as well. Her name was listed in this article as Gladys Forgioni, so she changed her first name here. But I'm pretty sure that it was her because the paper listed the names of her children that were with her during the accident, and they matched Conchetta's actual children's names. And I did find her obituary in the Denver Post. She again had a different name. She went by Constance Lemme. Constance Conchetta, I get that one, but she had a different last name. I was able to verify it was her though, because again, all her children were listed in the obituary and the names matched. She was also listed as the wife of Martin Lemay, so apparently she got married at some point. She died in February of 1940 at the age of 77. So like Stella, it looks like Conchetta Americanized her name as well. And I imagine she probably did this out of escaping her reputation in Denver. And there may have been some fear of Angelina as well. While I was researching Angelina, I kept noticing how she was described in the newspapers. In some articles, she would be described as beautiful. And in another article, she was described as ugly or dull, or just basically insulted her in some way. But what bothered me the most was when they commented on her being Italian. Now, I'm not trying to defend Angelina's actions, but I guess I am defending her Italianness, if that makes sense. Her being Italian has nothing to do with and is not connected to her being a murderer. And that is the story of Angelina Garamoni. I wish I knew what happened to her after she was released from prison. There's so many questions like when and where did she die? Did she ever go back to Denver? Did she see her kids, her grandkids ever again? I'll keep searching every once in a while to see if something pops up in a newspaper. And if I find anything, I'll do an update. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to Angelina's story. And I hope you come back to listen to more stories about Italian Americans. See you next time. <laughs>